NBA on NBC. What is up, everybody? This is Jim Mylock, and you're listening to Pot of Fame, the podcast where we break down the careers of former athletes and decide whether or not you're going to call to the hall. On today's podcast, we're talking basketball. We got two different things that have recently happened that we're going to be talking about. First thing, Basketball Hall of Fame announced the class of 2023 um, on Saturday. Uh, I think a lot of the names on here weren't very surprising. It was a pretty uh, high star powered class this year with, you know, players like Dirk and and Dwayne Wade and and Pop getting in. Um, But there's also a number of coaches that got in this uh, this year as well that maybe you aren't all too familiar with. So I'm going to talk about the class as a whole. Um, overall thoughts and then go into little bios on, on each player and just you know tell you what my thoughts are on that so that's kind of the first thing the main event this is a hall of fame podcast got to talk about the basketball class of 2023 we also um are wrapping up the ncaa tournament march madness is almost over i mean it is in fact april so uh the madness should be over by now but the national championship game is tonight um the final four has now finished uh so i'm gonna bring on our kentucky correspondent and my my wife now um shannon bauer uh to talk tournament overall um obviously no one had a good bracket this year i had zero final four teams she had zero final four teams i'm sure most of you had zero final four teams if you even got one team right uh you had a good chance at probably winning uh your pool so it was a, a disaster this year but Really fun games, really fun players. We're going to give a a quick recap um, of the tournament itself, uh, our favorite players, best games we watched, and then our our quick thoughts on tonight's national championship and and who we think is going to win. And whoever we think is going to win, probably pick the opposite based on how crazy this tournament was. But that's today, fully basketball again. First, talk about the class of 2023, and then bring on Shannon uh, to talk about March Madness, the NCAA tournament, and tonight's national championship game so real fun podcast very basketball heavy though we will have a normal episode next week we'll be talking baseball uh, but hope you stick around today so with that uh, let's get into it all right so let's talk 2023 basketball hall of fame class Uh, again it was released on saturday Um, there was 12 members quote-unquote members 11 members and then one full team um that was inducted as part of this class uh this class will be enshrined this summer uh august 12th usually it's after labor day they've moved it up to the summer months to apparently get a bigger crowd uh so that's when that full class will be um enshrined there was 10 members uh selected by the north american committee Uh, There was one member selected by the um, Women's Veterans Committee, or I guess, again, this is the entire 1976 U.S. Olympics women's team was elected. So I guess that's a number of people elected, but a team was elected by the Women's Veterans Committee. And then from the Contributor Committee, one uh, coach was elected. I think this would shock the most people. We'll get to that in a second. But this was someone I think I actually thought was in, and I think most of you will think was in as well. So I'll get to that in a second. But first, let's talk about the the 10 selected by the North American Committee. Uh, I'll go in order 
and then I'll go into bios of each. So uh, in order, uh, alphabetical, Gene Best was elected. Gary Blair was elected, both coaches. Uh, pa Gasol was elected. Becky Hammond was elected as a player, not as a coach. Um, coach David Hickson was elected. Gene Kennedy was elected. Dirk Nowinski was elected. Tony Parker was elected. Greg Popovich was elected. And Dwayne Wade was elected. So again, very star-studded cast here. Again, the headliners are Dirk and Wade and Pop. Uh, but Tony Parker and, and Pau Gasol are, are definitely not bad, you know, secondary headliners. I mean, in a, in a normal year, those could easily be the headliners. Uh, and then again, a lot of these coaches uh, deserve a lot of praise, but I'll get into all that in a second. And then again, the Women's Committee elected the 1976 U U.S. Olympics women's team. And then the Contributor Committee elected Jim Fovano. Yes, Jimmy V. He's just getting in now. I, I, I would say one of the more famous college basketball coaches of all time um, is finally getting into the Hall of Fame. Again, shocked me when I saw him as a nominee this year. I just assumed he was in years ago. And we're talking about him at the end. But let's start talking about each of these individual, um, I guess, uh, inductees one-on-one. Um, -on -one. And again, I, I won't go too in-depth on each of these. Don't have that much time. But I'll just call out the highlights. So again, going from alphabetical order. So first, let's start with Gene Bess. Um, Gene is the winningest coach of all time. I, I honestly had maybe heard of, about him at some time just because he has the record for most basketball wins as a, a men's co head coach. 1,300 wins over 50 seasons at Three Rivers Community College. This is the most win across any level of basketball. Um, where is Three Rivers Community College? It's in a place called Pop Poplar Bluff, Missouri. Um, only thing I can tell you uh, about these teams is Latrell Sprewell played two years there. I do not believe he choked out Gene Bess at any point. He waited till the NBA to do that. But I, I try to look up his stats. Apparently, his sophomore year there, he averaged 27 points per game and nine boards. Honestly, shocked the numbers weren't even higher at a community college as you know, he made an All-NBA first team by the time he got in the NBA. Uh, but Gene Bess is getting in. Again, if you win the most games as a coach ever, I uh, feel like you should get in no matter where you're coaching. So um, congrats to Gene. He just retired back in 2020. Uh, next coach up, Gary Blair. Uh, this is a women's head coach. Won 852 games over 37 seasons uh, at Stephen F. Austin, Arkansas, and Texas A&M. He's 13th all time in wins uh, in women's basketball history, which everyone ahead of him on that list is in the Hall of Fame, except Jim Foster. However, Jim Foster didn't win a title, and Gary Blair did. He won the 2011 Women's NCAA Championship with Texas A&M. Uh, he made the Final Four in total twice. Uh, so Gary Blair gets in and, and probably should be with those kind of numbers. So going on to uh, the first player here, uh, Paul Gasol. Uh, not shocking to anyone. He is episode 115. I have a full episode on Pa if you really want to get into his career. Um, I'm not going to get into it too much here just because I have a full episode there. So go listen to the full episode if you want the breakdown in his career, his candidacy. But again, kind of a no-brainer. Won two championships with Kobe on the Lakers. He was a six-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA selection. Um, 
And then, you know, just as he had a great NBA career, also an excellent international career, um, you know, for for Spain. Uh, Spain, I guess, you know, I would say any Olympics, it's usually going to be Team USA and and Spain kind of competing for that gold medal. Um, so, So his international career paired with his NBA career, one of the better combinations of all time. But again, episode 115, if you want more on him, go listen to that. Uh, Becky Hammond was elected as a player. Uh, I think everyone thinks of her as a head, you know, as a coach these days. She coached, of course, famously uh, as an assistant uh, for the Spurs for eight years before going over to the WNBA, winning a championship her very first year as a head coach with the Las Vegas Aces uh, last year. But again, she's going in as a player here. Uh, she was a six-time All-Star in the WNBA, a four-time All-WNBA uh, player. She's the fourth most threes ever in WNBA history, sixth all-time in assistant WNBA history. And she was elected the 15th, 20th, and 25th anniversary teams for the WNBA. It's kind of a no-brainer here. She also had an excellent college career at Colorado State. She's the WAX all-time leading scorer for men or women. Actually passed Keith Van Horn when she was there. Two-time All-American there. So between college and WNBA, Honestly, kind of a no-brainer to be a, a Hall of Fame team member or a Hall of Fame member. What I would say with Becky Hammond, I could see her down the road getting in as a coach. I mean, she's off to a very good head start, uh, winning you know a championship her first year in the league. I think she will eventually coach in the uh, in the NBA. Uh, could she be the first women's to the first women to coach in the NBA? I think she could. She got that pro experience already with the Spurs. Obviously, she's killing it as a head coach in the WNBA. I think it's only a matter of time. I would say if I had to put money on it, she does get in the Hall of Fame as a coach as well down the line, which, again, few people have done. You know, Bill Russell's in um, as, as both a player and a coach. Uh, a few others are. But, but really, um, Becky is a player. I, I could see her down the road as a coach as well. So congratulations, Becky Hammond. Uh, well-deserved there. Uh, so going on next alphabetically, David Hickson is a coach who, who got in again, David Hickson's not a name I'm too familiar with. I have heard of it. So he's a D three coach as well at Am Amherst. He coached for 42 seasons, 826 wins. That's good for 20th all time. He won two national titles, at the D three level made four final fours, the D three level and was D three coach of the year in 2007 and 2013. Again, can't comment too much on him, but 800 plus wins, national championships. Again, this is the Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, I can't really argue against him getting in. However, this might be my hottest take, and I hate to rain on anyone's parade um, when they're getting in the Hall of Fame. But if I had to say there is a controversial kind of inductee on this class, I would say it's this next individual. And then that is Gene Kennedy. So two, two, two genes. Um, in this class. <laughs> I don't know how many times that will ever happen again. So Gene Kennedy, again, full disclosure, I'm an Indiana uh, Hoosier graduate and, and fan. So this is a guy who coached mainly at Purdue. So do I have bias here? Probably, but I'm trying to be as unbiased as I can here. And I, I don't know if Gene Kennedy is a Hall of Fame coach. Um, so again, he coached mainly at Purdue, but also a little bit at Western Kentucky, 27 seasons, won 550 games, um, never made it to a final four, let alone won a national championship. So no final four appearances. 
course, no national championships. He made two elite eights, five sweet 16s. You know, 550 wins. There's been over 121 coaches that have won at least 600 games. Um, They're not all in the Hall of Fame, not even close to most of those players in the Hall of Fame. I feel like if you're not really high up on the win list, you got to have some Final Four appearances, a national championship. Gene Kenny does not have any of those. He did win National Coach of the Year, apparently six times. I think he did a really good job. His haircut, I would say, is very famous to me. Um, and I do associate him with, with Purdue basketball. Like when I think of Purdue basketball, I think of Gene Kennedy. I don't know though. I just, no final four appearances. That's kind of glaring to me. Um, you know, not winning at least 600 games, 550 wins, no national championships, no final fours. I don't know if that's a hall of famer. Um, again, congratulations to Gene Kennedy. I'm never going to die on a hill of anyone not getting in the Hall of Fame, but I just, I don't know if he fits in with the rest of these individuals I'm talking about because from the players to the coaches, I think everyone on here has national championship or an NBA championship or a WNBA championship or a D3 championship, you know, besides, besides Gene Kennedy. So, okay. Purdue fans relax. He's in, but. I don't know if I agree with that. Moving on next, uh, Dirk and Winsky. Uh, what more is there to say about Dirk? Of course, he should be in episode 148, uh, a pot of fame with uh, ESPN's Tim McMahon. It's a great episode. Go listen to that. We really break down Dirk's career. But again, this is a guy who was a, a league MVP, a NBA Finals MVP, dragged the Mavs to the championships in 2011. They won. The guy's got over 30,000 career points. Uh, at this point, it's the greatest European of all time career-wise in the NBA. Uh, that will probably change soon with, with Giannis. I mean, there's probably a debate Giannis is better than Dirk at this point. I don't want to go down that path yet. Dirk has the career numbers, so I'll go with Dirk still, but Giannis will pass him at some point. Um, you know, Jokic can pass him at some point. Doncic might pass him at some point. Uh, so his time's probably numbered as the best ever, but right now I would say he's the best European player ever. Um, again, this is a no-brainer. He is the headline, not Dwayne Wade. Uh, Dirk, congratulations. But again, if you want more Dirk uh, info, go listen to our podcast 148. Uh, next up is another guy we've done a podcast on, Tony Parker. Episode 147 with Bill Land, who does the play-by-play for the Spurs. It was a great episode. Tony Parker, I feel like people, this is the one people were like, oh, he's not a first ballot guy. He is. I don't know how to tell you this. He won four championships as the starting point guard. Um, He's a six-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, one finals MVP. Uh, This guy is a no-brainer to me, Hall of Famer. Um. If you're the star, not the star, I'm sorry, the starting point guard for four championship teams, you're getting in immediately. I I don't care what else you have to say about him. He also had a very good career. Um, And then internationally too, he had a good career. Um, Not as, not as good as Gasol or, or Dirk, I would say, but still, you know, played for France, um, had, had that international career as well. Um, 
underrated career, I would say. He was never the best point guard in the NBA any given time. But, you know, some of his peak years, I, I feel like people forget, like, he was probably the best player on some of those later Spurs championships teams. Uh, you know, Duncan's always going to be the face of the franchise, but Tony Parker was definitely the best scorer on some of those teams, and it just kind of gets lost. So congrats to Tony Parker. Finally, getting to the mastermind of those championship Spurs teams, Greg Popovich. Again, Pop, honestly, I said Dirk's the headliner. You could easily say Greg Popovich is the headliner. No. NBA's all-time winning is coach, 1,360 wins um, and counting, right? Uh, five NBA championships. Uh, you know, Doc Rivers is the closest behind him who's still coaching right now with 1,094 wins. Will he catch Pop? I guess it depends on when Pop hangs it up. Um, but Pop is on coaching Rushmore for me. Uh, he's basically coached the Spurs my entire life. Uh, I mean, when I first started to understand basketball was in like, remember basketball was the 95, 96 season. Pop was coaching the Spurs starting the next season, 96, 97. So he really has been there my entire life. Um, we'll never see, I think another coach spend that long with one organization. I think that's kind of done for. Um, as the league more gravitates toward players. But I don't know if there's anyone better than Pop. Um, you know, if I'm making my coaching Mount Rushmore, it's Phil Jackson, it's Red Aubach, it's 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 Pop. And then the, the fourth spot's the one up for debate. You know, I think Pat Riley's probably fighting to get on there. Um, I think there's a handful of other coaches that are probably fighting to get on there, but uh, he's definitely solidified his spot as one of the top three coaches of all time. Uh, he also is just a super intelligent person. Anytime he's saying something, I'm, I'm listening. Uh, I respect the hell out of him. And, um, you know, you see the interviews he gives on TV that are just kind of deadpanned. And honestly, he can come off as a jerk sometimes, I feel like. He, he can, but any story I've ever heard of how good he is, the culture um, with the Spurs and the team and how, you know, he has these dinners with his players uh, after a game and, you know, the game doesn't matter to him after that point. It's no, like enjoy the family atmosphere of the team. You know, he has past players, coaches come to these events. They're having nice wine. They're having fine meals. It sounds like a place I would want to be just telling stories, enjoying the company I feel like Pop gets it. I feel like he really does. Um, and I, there's not too many more people in, in the game of basketball I respect more than Pop. So, again, he won't get as much fanfare as, you know, Dirk and Wade will. And, and again, they're players, coaches, maybe a little more of the backdrop. But Pop honestly probably is the headliner. If I'm really getting down to it, it's Pop and Dirk. Um, you can't tell the history of the NBA without Pop. You really, you really can't. Um, one of my favorite coaches ever, and congratulations to him. Um, rounding this out, last person here um, from the North American Committee is Dwayne Wade. I do have an episode on Wade. Um, it's with David Ramil, episode 151. Go take a listen. Wade is someone, not one of my favorite players, but damn, do I respect the hell out of this guy. Um, you know, came 
it's weird, right? He, he's from Chicago, so I should like him. He went to Marquette, played for uh, Coach Crean, who coached at my alma mater, so I should like him. Um, but I just I was never a fan uh, of him, but his game, I can't say anything bad against. I mean, he's a 13-time All-Star, eight-time All-NBA selection, probably the third-best shooting guard of all time behind um, behind MJ and Kobe. Okay, third best shooting guard of all time. If you count Jerry West as a shooting guard, I don't. I count him as a point guard. But if you count Jerry West as a shooting guard, maybe he's fourth best all time. But third or fourth, I'm talking about him with Jerry West. Pretty good company. You know, he won a title, honestly, kind of by himself in 2006. You know, Shaq was there. But if you look at his numbers there, he's he's going bonkers in 2006. Won finals MVP. Um, again, wins two more finals with LeBron in 2012-2013. Um, wins three championships, makes five finals appearances. One of the better guards I've ever seen in my lifetime. You know, couldn't really shoot, to be honest. But insane slasher, could get to the hoop. Took a ton of free throws. Always getting the line. Really good defender early in his career. One of the best shot blocking guards of all time. Freak athlete, you know, later in his career, athleticism went away a little bit. Uh, so, you know, maybe you didn't think of him as that explosive a guy, but look at early peak Wade, one of the more athletic, um, explosive players I've ever seen in my life. Um, so as much, again, I don't personally like him. Uh, uh, and again, maybe this is a, is a Bulls fan or just, you know, he he really, to me, complained a lot. Um, he would he would kill me with drawing fouls with trying to he's not even attempting a shot he's just trying to draw the foul he's not even trying to make a basket that kind of bothered me the wrong way especially on threes they've kind of tried to take that away a little bit but I think he really not started it but I I I considered any game I watched with him he was going to do that two or three times pump fake and then try to jump it jump into you so you're not really you're not getting fouled. You're trying to, you know, draw the foul, which was within the rules. He was allowed to do it. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. But again, Dwayne Wade, you're one of the better players of all time. Of course, get your shine here. So that again rounds up the top 10 uh, of the national, uh, or what do you call it? The North American committee, looking at the women's veterans committee. Again, their inductee is the 1976 U.S. Olympics women's team. This women's Olympics team won a silver medal. Um, but I think the significance is the first time women's basketball ever happened in the Olympics. This team had really big names on it, like Ann Myers uh, and Nancy Lieberman. Nancy Lieberman uh, was only 18 on this team. They got the silver that year. Uh, so congrats to all the women that were a part of that 1976 team. And then finally, the Contributors Committee elected Jimmy uh, V. Uh, so again, I'm shocked Jimmy V is not in already. Um, only 346 wins, so that's on the very low end. But he won a national championship in 1983, one of the more famous, I would say, national championships um, with NC State. Again, it's on the buzzer beater. It's 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 the one you see at every single March Madness, where the guy misses the shot. Lorenzo Charles, of course, then kind of gets it and scores the last second. Uh, Jimmy's running around the court trying to find someone to hug. 
Again, they show it every year. You might not, if you're not a big college basketball fan, you might not even know that's Jimmy V, but it is, and he's running around. Uh, so again, one of the most famous, I, I, I guess, NCAA championships he was the coach of. And again, him running around is one of the most famous shots. That alone almost should get him in the Hall of Fame. Um, we also think of him, of course, that famous speech he gave at the first ESPYs. Uh, they replay every year the Jimmy V Foundation. He gave that speech on March 4th, 1993. And he passed away from cancer just, you know, not even two months later, April 28th. Um, again, between that speech he gave at the ESPYs and him running around in that 1983 championship, I think those are two just moments, right, that are, even if you don't like sports, you don't know much about sports, you don't follow sports. You know both of those moments. You know Jimmy V. So, again, we talk about the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's a it's telling basketball's history, the story of the game. Like, both of those moments are some of the most significant moments in sports history. Um, And it's shocking he's not in already. And, again, not to I, – I feel bad. I try not to do this. I'm doing this today, but I try not to do this too much. But, like – we look at Gene Kennedy's candidacy, right? Um, he finished coaching uh, Purdue back in 2005. He's getting in now. You know, Jimmy V finished coaching NC State in, in 1990. He's just getting in now as a contributor. Um, did Jim Gene Kennedy have more wins? Yes, 200 more wins. But, you know, Jimmy V made it to two Elite Eights. You know, Gene Kennedy made it to two Elite Eights. But then Gene... Uh, Jimmy V also made it to a final four, won a national championship, has that famous moment, has that famous speech. How, you know, why is it taking him this much longer to get in? He's getting his contributor where Gene Kenny is getting in as a coach. This is where the hall of fame gets a little wonky to me because I would put Jimmy V in before Gene Kennedy again, who cares now they're both getting in. But this is where the Hall of Fame gets a little confusing to me sometimes of how they're choosing people. Because I feel like some of the wins a national championship makes it to, you know, the same amount of lead eights as Gene Kennedy does. I don't know. I, I pick Jimmy V over Gene Kennedy any day. Nothing against Gene Kennedy. I just, again, I'm trying to look at it. How does this work? Sometimes we don't know. With the Basketball Hall of Fame, again, there's a lack of transparency. We don't know who the voters. We don't really know what they're looking at. It's out of all the Hall of Fames, the one I think needs the most work because we don't really know much about it and there's surprises all the time. Speaking of surprises, there is a list of nominees for the Veterans Committee and the International Committee to select a member of the 2023 class. At this point in time, no one's been elected. I, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out right now. I'm uncertain about it. It seems like they would pick someone from the International Committee and they would pick someone from the Veterans Committee, there's just too many nominees not to pick someone, too many names that matter. I just talked about Paul Silas uh, the other day um, as a Veterans Committee guy. He's a nominee, but they're not electing anyone at this point. Will they elect someone down the road? Apparently, someone on Twitter reached out to me when I kind of talked about this. Apparently, in 2020, they didn't announce the Veterans Committee and International Committee selections till later. To me, that makes absolutely no sense. Why would you not announce the whole class at the same time? Maybe that happens this year. Maybe there's nobody elected from those committees. I mean, there's already 12 kind of members already. I don't know. 
when I find out, I'll let everyone know. Um, but as of right now, it's just these 12 as part of the class. So I'm a little confused there. Uh, will it happen down the road? Maybe. But again, basketball Hall of Fame class, transparency lacks. Uh, I hope they change it down the line. I'm advocating for that. But at this moment, it's these 12. So congratulations to all of them. Um, they really deserve it. If I, if I could say one thing, I think the coolest thing about this is how connected a lot of these names on this list are. Um, the biggest thing I, I feel like here is the, the international presence. Uh, the, the, the game today, right? We have Giannis. We have Jokic. We have Embiid. Those are three international players. Um, and they're, they're the top three players in the league. They're all gunning for the MVP. And then you got Luka Doncic, who's right there is maybe the fourth best player um, in the NBA. And if you really want to just, you know, take Embiid out of the way and, and just look at European players, it's Doncic, it's Jokic, it's Giannis. Um, you know, think of, think of how how talented the NBA is today. And then the, the European players are maybe three of the four best players in the league right now. And then there's other European players I'm not naming, but three of the four best players in the league right now are European. And then you look at this Hall of Fame class. And these are some of the, the first, honestly, these are, these are the first superstars to play in the NBA from Europe. Dirk got drafted in 98. Tony Parker got drafted in 2001. Gasol got drafted in 2001, and they are now getting elected into the Hall of Fame. Tony won four championships. Dirk won one. Gasol won two. Before them, there were great players. There was the, you know, the Tony Ku coaches. There's the Vladi Divox. There's the Drazan uh, Petrovics. But these guys, they were great European players, but they weren't superstars. In the NBA, Petrovic almost was before he tragically passed away. He made an All-NBA third team. But none of these guys were like superstars, MVP-type guys. But they came from Europe, and they were really good. Sabonis came over, but way too late, right? His knees were shot by the time he got to the NBA. This group, this Dirk, Tony, Gasol, these are the first superstars, right? Dirk wins an MVP. Tony Parker and Dirk win finals MVPs. These are the first superstars and they're just getting elected now. That's how recent this is. European players is the first superstars coming into the league and they're all going in to hall of fame together. I think that's awesome. Other tie-ins though. It's not just that. I mean, you got Popovich who of course coached Tony Parker. They're going in together. Becky Hammond. Again, she's going in as a player, but she, Sat alongside Pop for eight years as an assistant coach on the Spurs. They have that connection. And then you have connections like Dirk and Wade went against each other in the 2006 finals where Wade won. Then the 2011 finals where Dirk won. I think that's super neat. And then Gasol was battling these guys in the Western Conference finals all the time. Parker and Pop against Gasol and, uh, you know, Lakers, Spurs. Like this was happening. Dirk against Gasol. Like these were happening. The Western Conference, those guys battling it out. That was happening for years. We've seen Gasol going against Dirk or Dirk going against Parker and Pop. And then Wade, you know, going against these guys in the finals. Like, these guys are all very connected. 
and, and Becky again is on the Spurs bench connected. I think that's very neat that they're all going in together. They're all going to be on stage. And again, some of these players, not as much connection. These, especially the, you know, the D3 coaches, um, not as big of a connection, but the players, a lot of connections there. I think it's super neat. They're all going in. And then to top it off, you know, Jimmy V going in as well with them all, of course, posthumously, but super exciting draft class. Like is er, draft class. Hall of Fame class. I hope I didn't say draft class earlier. If I did, please excuse that. Is this like one of the best Hall of Fame classes of all time? It's up there. Um, Jordan's class, Michael Jordan's class is is really close. Um, that was Stockton. That was David Robinson. But again, from top to bottom, this is an all-time class. It really is. Um, so I don't want to say it's the best class ever, but 2023, hell of a class. So again, these will these these uh, players and, and coaches will be enshrined and, and team will be enshrined August 12th this summer. Uh, again, will there be an international um, committee member elected, a veterans committee elected? Maybe um, we'll have to see. But again, congratulations to everyone. Um, excited for everyone. And again, I don't think there's too many surprises on here really big headline names, which is super exciting uh, because again, a lot of fans know all these players, love all these players and their speeches should be fun. And, and some of the more like, like Dirk's one of the more likable players of all time. So super excited for Dirk. But again, we have episodes uh, on Dirk and Gasol and Wade and Parker. Go listen to those. Um, a lot more in depth talking there. I could, they, they all deserve a lot more time. But again, don't want to bore you to death. And we have some college basketball we want to talk about. So speaking of college basketball, um, let's bring on Chan. All right. So we have joining us to talk March Madness in April. It is April recording, but we're talking March Madness here. It is Pot of Fame's Kentucky correspondent, our social media manager, and my wife, Shannon Mylock. Shannon, how are you doing? I'm good, Jim. How are you? I am good. So we are recording this um, as Sunday. Final four was yesterday. The national championship is tomorrow. The tournament's almost over. And I, I imagine you're pretty sad because you were sad, I think, after the first day's games because that means college basketball is almost over for the year. How are you feeling? Yeah, this is a pretty sad time of year. You know, the best days are the first couple of days of the tournament. And then it's just all downhill. And we've got until... November until the Champions Classic, so we've got got a few months um, to get through. But it's been a really fun tournament, you know, um, a very crazy, unexpected tournament. So I think we went out with a bang this season. Yeah, and, and tomorrow, you know, we had this year a four, two, five seeds and a nine seed in the final four, and now in the championship, it'll be UConn versus San Diego State, and we'll talk about that at the end of you know what we think is going to happen there. A lot of people, though, Shannon, uh, you know, the Blue Bloods technically are, were out pretty early. Yeah. Um, none of the top, you know, seeds were in here. And people were kind of, especially our guy, Michael Wilbon, were kind of uh, yeah. shitting on the Final Four a lot. I, though, I had a ton of fun in this tournament. I I, I don't really care who's in it. If it's good basketball, it's right. good basketball. And you get to know some of these teams you didn't know much about. What did you think? Are you, are you okay with this kind of final four, this kind of ending? Or are you wishing, you know, other than Kentucky, of course, I know you'd want in, 
are you wishing there's a little more top talent lottery kind of talent in these final games? No, actually, I think this is awesome for the sport that it went this way this year. Yeah, we've watched PTI, you know, every day for the last three weeks. And it seems like every day Michael Wilbon saying this, he hates college basketball, basically. But I think, I mean, last year, it was an all chalk, like the final four was all blue bloods, basically. You know, I think this year is a little bit of an anomaly, uh, but I think it's a really fun anomaly. I think, you know, we're seeing the benefits a lot of, of a lot of the recent rule changes with transfers, with obviously the COVID year, you know, there's a lot of older players that had more time to maybe get better, even if they're never going to be pro athletes. And I, for one, like college basketball to be college basketball. And I don't really care that I didn't get to see Brandon Miller in the final four. He'll, you know, I think he'll be great in the NBA. I think he has a bright future, but I care about college basketball as college basketball. Um, so I, I don't know that this like next year could end up being four blue bloods four one seeds. Like it, this year just was a little crazy, but I don't know that it really means much. Um, obviously the COVID year thing, we're about to kind of age out of that. I think there's only one more year or two more seasons, maybe that they'll have like players with extra, extra time. Um, but I think it's really fun that it turned out this way. Yeah. And I mean, the, the final four matchup, everyone was kind of down on was the San Diego state, uh, Florida Atlantic game. And that was one of the best games, if not the best game of the tournament, a buzzer beater by San Diego state on the last, you know, possession. And it's the only buzzer, true buzzer beater, the entire tournament. Exactly. So everyone was like, Oh, Miami Yukon, which turned out to be kind of a blowout. That was the actual championship. The San Diego state game was way more entertaining. And honestly, if you could go, you know, back, you would make that the primetime game, but I agree with you. I, I I love this tournament, to be honest. I thought it was a lot of fun. And kind of to segue into our next subject, the thing about these teams that aren't on TV all the time, that we're not following all the time, is you kind of fall in love with, with players yeah. on, on different teams. So um, I asked you to kind of come up with who is your – you always have like a favorite player of the tournament. And and I had an easy one. I have some honorable mentions. But, Shan, we'll turn to you first. Who do you say your favorite player of the tournament was? Who really captured your attention? Who do you fall in love with? So I think my favorite was actually one of the people I said would be um, a player to watch in the beginning. And it's Jordan Hawkins from UConn. I hate that UConn is good. I hate it. I, I, I think I don't want to like UConn. I don't want to cheer for UConn, but he's just been absolutely fantastic. Even with apparently food poisoning yesterday, um, just a phenomenal player. Um, he's averaging 17 points per game during the tournament. And I, I think he has over 50% threes. I, I think he's 16 for 31. If I'm looking at the most accurate, like up-to-date numbers. Um, but he's obviously just like a leader of the team. You know, when you hear him in post-game interviews, when the other players talk about UConn, when you hear Danny Hurley talk about UConn, like he's just, he's the heart of the team. And it has been really cool to see a team, see a guy that going into the tournament, um, it wasn't just me that was kind of hyping him up, obviously, as a guy to watch, but it's very cool to see someone kind of deliver on that. Um, and, and they've blown people out the whole tournament. So as much as I hate to see it, um, it's a big part of it's because of him. So it's really cool to watch. Yeah, he seems super likable. I, again, I didn't know much about him before the tournament. Uh, obviously, throughout the tournament, now I've been watching him a bit. I, I think he is the person in, in the entire Final Four that probably has the best NBA future. I, I, I think he's predicted as a first-round talent. I really don't know if I have an NBA comp for him of who he reminds me of, but I think he could go, you know, mid to even fringe lottery, depending on, I don't know if he has an incredible championship game, maybe he gets on more people's radars, but I like that pick. Um, For me, mine is easy. Um, I kind of fell in love with him. The, the first full game I watched of Kansas state in the tournament, and that is their 
extremely tiny point guard, Marquise Noel. Um, yeah. 5'8", probably more 5'7", because he's, he's listed 5'8", so he's probably 5'7", from Harlem. He transferred into Kansas State from Little Rock a few years ago, and he just lit up the entire tournament. Yeah. I, I didn't watch his first-round matchup against Montana State, where he had 17 points, 6 boards, 14 assists. I, of course, living in a Kentucky household, did watch him really from start to finish for the first time when he played Kentucky in the second round. Yes. 27 points, 9 assists. He seemed like an absolute problem. We could not stop him. You you couldn't. And, and it's, you know, there's something really fun when someone is that short yeah. and they're dominating the game of basketball. Really because fun. from an early age, it's basketball, you got to be tall. The, the best players are the tall players. Even by high school, a 5'8 guy is usually not sticking around. So him to play at the, you know, college basketball at a high level in March Madness is super fun. And then his... I would say best performance really just became a national name headline was in the sweet 16 against Michigan state where he broke the assist record yeah, that was so fun. Um, for March Madness. He had 19 assists in that game, 20 points and five steals in an overtime win against Michigan state 98, 93. Um, he ended the game. I think everyone's debating, you know, he's pretending I think to argue with his coach that in overtime, so cool. Throws up an alley-oop to Keontae Johnson to seal the game because then um, Michigan State brings it down the floor. He steals the ball, makes a layup, game's over. Shen, a lot of debate. Was he was that part of the play yeah. to fake argue? Or was he just like, I'm not calling your play, and then he threw up an oop? I think that he... Like, are you asking, like, was the play to was pretend? The, yes. No, no, no. I, I was the play think, to pretend. I actually think he was legitimate, like legitimately kind of chirping at his coach and then saw kind of saw what was happening because he's obviously just an assist machine. He was so fun to watch. Um, so fun. The passes. Really cool that they played in New York. I think yeah. that that's such a cool part of that story. Um, so that was really fun. What what rappers did you say were coming out for yeah, from Harlem? So, um, I all the Harlem rappers like Cameron just showed up wearing purple. Like people were joking that Cameron just heard someone from Harlem was doing something, and and Cameron appeared at Madison Square Garden, which is great. And I think really quickly, like a uh, kind of a honorable mention guy for me that I forgot. I think it's really cool that Keontae Johnson had a good tournament. Did um, I was watching that Florida game when he just like completely fell over a few years ago and seeing his recovery has been really cool. So I, I didn't have him on my list, but I didn't want to forget to shout out that since you brought him up, but very cool to watch him have um, a good tournament and be able to play again after his medical crisis. Yeah. So real quick back to Noel for a second. So he's a senior, so he's out of college now. I don't think he has any extra eligibility years left. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he can play in the NBA. I mean, his stock is never going to be higher than this moment. I like to think he could. I mean, the passes he had, I compared him to Shan. I don't know if you know this name. He played in the early 2000s. Um, did you know Jason White Chocolate Williams played yeah, for Sacramento? I'm familiar. Okay. So the way Noel was passing throughout the tournament, that was my best comparison. He was doing street ball slash and one type passes yeah. in big games through his legs around his back uh, insane no look passes and fitting into windows you just didn't see possible for the tournament he averaged 13 and a half assists actually i'm gonna say his whole line over four games 23 and a half points three and a half boards 13 and a half steal or i'm sorry assists with four steals per game 
That is the record for the most assists per game in a tournament. And it's actually the fourth most steals per game in a tournament. So one of the all-time performances, all he, did, all he didn't do was take his team to the final four. Of course, they lost to Florida Atlantic in the lead eight, even though he dropped 30 points and 12 yeah. assists. So definitely the person I will remember from this tournament, even though Kansas State didn't make it to the final four, really took me by surprise. And I'll be following him through summer league um, this summer, hoping he kind of you know sticks out with the NBA team. I feel like he can make money somewhere, even if it's not here in the NBA. But um, yeah, you're totally right. What a what a good ending. So you gave your honorable mention, I think, a little early, Keontae Johnson. Well, do, do, him do, do you have him. any additional honorable mentions, yeah. just like players you enjoyed watching in the tournament? Yeah, so um, John L. Davis at Florida Atlantic is a guy that I got pretty obsessed with back when they played Fairleigh Dickinson. He had That was his best game of the tournament early on. Um, but he was super fun to watch. It was super fun to watch him have such a good game. Um, he ended up, I think, averaging like 14 points in the other games in the tournament beyond that. So solid contributor, but it's always fun to watch a guy have like a crazy coming out game. Um, and I, that was a lot of fun for me. And then, um, well, you go ahead and give one of yours. Okay. Yeah. So I have, I have two down. Um, one is Isaiah Wong uh, yeah. on Miami. He just kind of stuck. Like, so I watched most Miami. If Miami wouldn't have been in, I'm an IU grad. If Miami wouldn't have been in IU's bracket, I would have had Miami in the final four because I love their coach. And Isaiah Wong, I watched most of Miami's games. He stuck out to me. This is one of the guards that Miami was just dropping the bag for to, to, to play at Miami or stick around at Miami uh, and not transfer away. But Isaiah Wong really stuck out to me. Um, definitely has pro-level offensive talent. Uh, definitely in the final four, two against UConn, he seemed like be the only one that could create his own offense. I think he does have a bright NBA future. I think he might go late first, early second, but I think he could definitely honestly start in the league. His offensive talent. It reminds me of, I was thinking of like, who's his NBA comp. It's Zach Levine, but like a less athletic Zach Levine. Cause Zach Levine. Like eight inches taller than Isaiah Wong. No, no, no. Zach Levine's six, five. Is it Isaiah uh, Wong 6'4"? I think of Isaiah, Isaiah Wong seems smaller. I mean, he's like kind of got a slight sure he's build. slender, he's got a but he's like shifty. Yeah. He doesn't have the hops of Zach Levine, but he can shoot from outside. He can get to the hoop. I think he's a less bouncy Zach Levine. That would be like my ceiling uh, for Isaiah Wong in the NBA. And then my second um, is someone who honestly just got my radar the last couple games. I, I wasn't watching him early just because I wasn't watching Connecticut that much. But um, I might pronounce this wrong, Shan. You're here to help me. Is it Adamu Sango? Sangu? I think it's Sanogo. Sanogo. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's why you're here. Anyway, this is like the power forward for UConn. Um, especially last night when I was watching him play against Miami, they were in the old UConn unis. He was giving me a yeah. Mecca Okafor vibes, hardcore. He's he's going like 20 and 10 in that game. He's blocking shots. He's a defensive starlet. He's had three double doubles in this tournament over five games. Crazy. He is just. I don't know. When I think of UConn, one of my first, honestly, memories, I was a little too young for that 99 championship team, but when Emeka Okafor and Ben Gordon won that championship, that's when I really started to fall in love with uh, college basketball. And Emeka Okafor was the face of that team as that shot blocking guy. Um, you know, Adama, he's he's a better offensive player than Okafor ever was and, and almost as good a rebounder and defensive player. So I, I'm glad I have someone in the championship to kind of root for. I'm really about his game. And I think he will be another guy that maybe, you know, makes in the NBA down the road, uh, you know, either as a second round pick or even someone that kind of just w works his way up through the G league. Cause I think he has that level of talent 
I'm excited to see what he does um, in the, in the championship game. So Shannon, any yeah, other? He's, um, I did just on Isaiah Wong. I think he's been, it's been very fun to watch him because I feel like at the first time we, we watched Miami at the beginning of the tournament, we were like, who is this guy? And then now throughout the entire tournament, it's like, oh no, this guy is legit. His body, is kind of like <laughs> he moves, his body's interest. He's super slender, but yeah. kind of strong at the same time. I, I don't know. I, I think he can definitely play like kind of a combo guard in the NBA. Um, he really, and Miami has a lot of talent. He really stuck out to me though, as like their kind of X factor kind of go-to guy. Yeah. Yeah. He was awesome. Anyone from us you or? Um, no, those are, I think we covered kind of the same people. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because some of just kind of your first question, like, you know, some of the players that we thought we would be seeing to see their kind of draft status or what we're going to, they're going to, you know, have their final moment before entering the draft. Those teams all went out early. So, you know, Drew Timmy got the opportunity to kind of show his stuff a little bit, but then in their last game, he was hampered by foul. So, you know, we didn't really see him have like this breakout tournament that maybe people thought he might have. Um, Brandon Miller had a great tournament, um, except for the first game, because he was kind of hurt, but like he looked good when he was playing, but then they got out early. Um, so it is, I think a lot of the players that I was excited to watch on that, if, if we are thinking about the NBA side of things, didn't make it very far. Um, so we didn't get to watch them, but now we have people like Marquise Noel to be famous forever as the, this guy that had the best tournament, um, which is really fun. Yeah, no, it is. And again, I, I like that because again, these other guys we're going to get to see playing the NBA for a while. A lot of the people we mentioned might not have, I mean, they're not surefire NBA players yeah. whatsoever. So even the Wongs of the world, that guy could easily be in and out of the NBA really quickly. Um, situation matters and how their game translates matters. So at least we have the term to remember them by, um, you know, real quick, do you have a best game of the tournament or the game you enjoyed the most? It could have been a first round game that was just, you know, Princeton upset Arizona games yeah. like that, or it could be later on the best basketball. Mine's easy. But was there any game that really you just, that was so much fun. This is why I love March Madness. So I know what you are going to say. Yeah. So I'm not going to take that one. Okay. Um, I think one of my favorite games to watch was Purdue losing. And I don't come from an anti, I don't have Purdue thoughts. I'm, um, I, you know, I'm an SEC person. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't have the hatred that IU fans have for Purdue. Um, and to be honest, I, I kind of thought Zach Eady, like, I just like, didn't think that they were that good anyways. I definitely didn't have him in my final four. Um, but watching that, I, I felt like watching that game, especially at the last eight minutes, it didn't feel like Purdue could win. They were only up by a couple points. It wasn't like Virginia losing and getting totally blown out as a one seed. You know, the score was close, but the entire time watching it, fairly Dickinson just seemed like they had it under control. Um, and it was very fun to then get, you know, get into knowing their players, get into knowing their coach, who I think was immediately poached to coach Iona, like within 10 minutes of them getting out of the tournament. Um, so fairly Dickinson, it was kind of cool to see the birth of their story, but it was extremely fun to be at a bar here in Chicago with a lot of people that are big 10 people um, watching this kind of, it just felt inevitable. It felt like Purdue, there wasn't going to be a run. They weren't going to figure it out. And it was very, very fun to watch history because if I must admit, when Virginia lost as a one seed, I went to bed that night. I didn't stay up. That was like a 10 o'clock tip. I went to bed. I missed it. I am the biggest college basketball fan of anyone I know. And I missed the first time a one seed 
lost. Um, so I think it was kind of fun to be able to watch it again, watch it happen again. It was the birth of a really good story. Um, but more than anything, it just, the whole time, it just felt inevitable. Like, even though it wasn't a blowout, it was just like, yeah, Purdue isn't going to figure this out. This little team's going to win. This is awesome. Um, so that, I think that was like a really strong memory and it, uh, that was Friday afternoon. So there'd already been some chaos and the first round was like more chalk, you know, other than there's a few big upsets, but I think a lot of the chaos was the, the mid seeds lasting longer in the tournament. Um, but that was a fun way to start the weekend and kind of preview, um, what else was going to be coming down the pike with this crazy tournament that we had. I mean, I can easily say that was the most excited I was the whole tournament. Uh, as an IU grad, of course, watching Purdue lose in the first round as a one seed, which I thought they were overrated because they were kind of falling apart near the end of the year, at least to me. Um, I mean, we I was on a bachelor party for this, so we were not together. We were a lot of these guys are IU grads at the bachelor party. We were all watching it in the back patio and we were losing our minds. I mean, Purdue was turning the ball over. Wasn't Farley like wasn't their tallest player like six seven? Yeah, they were the shortest team in the tournament. The shortest team in the tournament, just like swarming Zach Eady. Um, he didn't know what to do. You know, they got out rebounded. Uh, you know, Dick Farley Dickerson as they should, but turnover wise, Purdue turned the ball over sixteen times. Um, they could not handle the rock, and and honestly, we had and this kind of is sad, but like I think I enjoyed watching Purdue lose that opening game way more than IU winning later that night. Um, I mean, we were all together out on this patio celebrating every single turnover, yeah. every single chain, you know, basket. So that could be right up there with me for the most excited I was the whole tournament, but just the best game of basketball I saw. I already talked about it. The Michigan State, Kansas State yeah. overtime game. So I knew you were going to say is it. Is that the only State. overtime game? I think it's the only overtime game. And yeah, we, and we only got one buzzer, one true buzzer beater. Yeah, UCLA but, and Gonzaga sort of ended on, but I think there was yeah. really another possession. Yeah, no. So Kansas State, Michigan State, the only or uh, the only overtime game, they almost got to 100. And yeah. it was just, it was Super top nice tier weapon. offensive talent. It was going back and forth. Not much defense, but a lot of scoring. Completely back and forth. I never, I didn't even know at times who I was rooting for. Yeah. I love Izzo. But I love Noah. I was like, I need to see this guy more. He was the assist record. Again, yeah. I talked about earlier, but like at halftime, I was like, he could. I like looked it up. I was like, yeah, it's 18. We were really tracking it. So then we had like the counter going. I just I had a ton of fun watching that. But but the Purdue game, the Purdue loss, easily up there for me. I just don't want to be an annoying IU fan. Yeah. I don't I like when fans are like, oh, I enjoyed watching my arch rival lose so much. Purdue's never even made the final four. Yeah. And they're just not really in my head at this point. Well, I um the, I think it's in our preview episode, I think I talked about like not even understanding, like, like Kentucky started the season against Michigan state. We lost that. Like, I didn't know who was on the team, but it was like, well, Tom is, oh, you know, it, you know, it's March. I'm sure they'll look good. So obviously I was very happy with the result of the game. It was fun to watch Noel, but um, it was pretty cool to watch Tom Izzo pull together with this like 18 win team and um, still see such a fun game. You know, Tom is such a great coach. Um, so that was, I think that was just a fun, there's a lot of fun storylines there in the game. Um, it was, it was very cool. All right. So the, tonight is the tournament or when you're listening to this tonight is the tournament yeah. for us. The tournament's tomorrow, the end of it. Um, you know, it's UConn, San Diego state. What, what's your prediction? What happens in this game? So is this a good game? I think it'll be a good game. Um, the thing that I, and thinking about the thing that's on my mind the most with this game is that San Diego state has had to win close ones to get here. 
And I think UConn's won every game by at least 13. Um, no one's been able to keep up with UConn. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what I think about the individual matchup, but I do keep coming back to the fact that San Diego state has had to fight through some really tight games to make it to the final, to the championship game. Um, and so I think that there could be, um, a lot of fight in San Diego state that is going to, they're going to put up a real fight against UConn and it might not be as close. It might be, I'm sorry. It might be closer than the other games that UConn's had. And I, I don't know how they'll handle that adversity. Um, sounds like Jordan Hawkins has gotten over his food poisoning. I mean, he still had a really good game, but yesterday, but obviously, uh, or Saturday, I'm a little thrown off with the time of when this is being released, but I think it'll be a really good game. Um, I really, really don't want UConn to win. Um, but I, I think, I think obviously they're more likely to win, but I think it'll be a better game than we've seen a closer game than we've seen from UConn this uh, tournament. So the spread seven and a half, um, I'm taking UConn in that. I, I think, I mean, honestly, UConn, there hasn't been a close game with UConn yet. The Miami game yesterday was somehow like the closest yeah. game and it wasn't really that close. There's a couple times where they hit it, got within like nine or 10 yep. and then they just couldn't get it. I, I just, UConn has it. And I was very, I, I don't think I understood how good they were. Um, you know, I think they were a four seed. They should have been lower than that. Yeah. They, they were a number one team earlier in the year. I think in my head I had that they really kind of fell off at one point. They were losing a bunch of games at a time, kind of midway through the year. And I remember hearing about that. I was like, oh, okay, they're they're done. But then they finished the season strong. I kind of ignored all of that. They killed Gonzaga, who I had going to the finals. They basically beat the hell out of everyone. No game has been close. We're on the other side. I feel like San Diego State, as you said, they've been kind of sneaking out every wins. I don't want to say they're getting lucky. They're obviously closing the games. They're They're coming up big when they need to be but I don't think they're going to be able to keep this game as close with UConn. I think UConn has a lot of weapons. I think they have a lot of NBA talent. Um, they have some big bodies down low that I don't think San Diego state can compete with. So I think UConn wins by double digits. I unfortunately don't think it's going to be that great of a game. And I think UConn's going to win what their fifth championship since 1999, 25 years. Yeah. They are the actual blue blood of blue bloods. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it is. They've I graduated mean, to blue blood officially with I, a fifth championship. That's a different podcast, but I will say, I think going back to this original concept, this Michael Wilbon, this tournament's dumb, whatever. I mean, UConn was ranked number one this season. They were. They have won four championships in the last 20 years, they 24 have. years. They have great players. Like I, I, I think it's a surprise when you look at the overall mix of the teams that made it to the elite eight, made it to the final four, but UConn winning is kind of a chalk result. Like they were a one seed this year or a, one, a rank number one this year. They were a known product this year. Um, so I, I obviously it's a surprise. I think they probably should have been a three seed, but the most typical result would still be UConn winning. Even if you look at all elite eight teams and the way that they're playing in the tournament, I think somehow UConn winning it all is just the, the, the typical result. So it's interesting that we had such a crazy tournament and that we are still in this place where like this well-known product is probably going to win. Yeah. I mean, even with you kind of talking about a blue blood conversation would be another podcast. Like, you know, we all think of the Dukes, the North Carolinas, the Kansas, the Kentuckys. IU hasn't won in a while, so I won't bring them up in there, but you kind of has more championships than all of them in the last 25 yeah. years. Like it's, it's, it's we, we don't consider them. It's, it's because they're not in every year, but when they're in, yeah, they go far. 
when so they're in, they go far. They don't have the historical existence of any of the other teams you just named. And I think that's what keeps IU in the conversation, even though they haven't won in a while yeah. because they have the history. UConn doesn't have the history, but they've got the recent success beyond any other team. Like any other team that you hear of, you know, Gonzaga's had such a run the last few years, even teams like Xavier that were good over the last couple decades, the just like smaller market teams that are kind of like no one compares to UConn in terms of recent success. I think I'm a traditionalist when it comes to history. Um, but I think you can't deny that UConn is a power. It is interesting that they're either garbage and don't make the tournament or they make it to the elite eight. Like there's no in between and that's over three coaches. Um, but I think I'm just so bitter about, um, running into them in the tournament a couple years, a few years ago now, and I can't be happy for them. Um, so I'm hoping it's a close game, but I have no skin in the game for San Diego state. I just wanted a fun game to close this out on. I think, I think I'm going to go with UConn is the Gen Z blue blood. It's Gen Z blue blood. It's new blue blood, but it doesn't um, have the history. I like that. Um, I think I'm almost more excited for the women's game today on I, Sunday, which will be over by the time this comes out. It will. We'll see if Caitlin Clark can pull it off. Shan, any other thoughts before we get you out of here? Cause we got a Cubs game to go to. Um, no, go Cubs. Go Cubs. All right. Um, that is our basketball recap. It'll be interesting to see what happens tonight. But again, I think we're thinking UConn's going to win it. So if you need to put money on it, go UConn. If you actually want to win money, probably bet the opposite of what I'm saying, because, because we've lost basically all of our money um, throughout this tournament. We have not been picking good games. Um, So Shan, thanks for coming on and uh, excited to watch the championship with you tomorrow. Yeah. Let's do this. All right. I want to thank Shannon uh, for coming on. It's not college basketball. It's always fun. That is all we have for today. Um, if you don't already, please subscribe to our podcast, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Pot of Fame, and we will have a baseball episode for you next week because it's baseball season, and I want to talk some baseball. So have a great week, and we will see you next Monday. Standing in the Hall of Fame.